Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Hi, this is Steve Barrett, Editorial Director of PR Week. Delighted to be here to introduce the Changemakers podcast series PR Week has been working on in partnership with Google. Changemakers is all about encouraging diversity in PR agencies and setting the standards that clients expect of their agency partners in demonstrating true diversity, equity and inclusion across all measures. The Changemakers Initiative is underpinned by the Changemakers Advisory Council, a top-level group of in-house PR professionals who outline their expectations of their PR agency partners if they are to meet clients' expectations of what comprises genuinely change-making behavior in terms of inclusive culture and authentically diverse work environments. Those expectations stretch across equitable hiring and pay practices, staff development, effective mentoring, and cultures that enable all employees to succeed as their authentic selves in the workplace, all while up-leveling the value and quality of the work their teams produce. The Changemakers podcast series features members of the council in conversation with each other and with PR Week editors and Google executives to really dig beneath the surface and set the expectations for genuinely inclusive work environments moving forward in the PR industry. Real changemaker behavior requires an authentic culture from top to bottom and innovative approaches to address DEI challenges. It's got to go beyond hiring numbers, lists, and unconscious bias training. We want changemakers to really walk the walk on diversity, not just talk the talk. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural PR Week Changemakers podcast. I'm Corey DeBrowa, and I serve as the VP of Global Communications and Public Affairs at Google. Recently, the Diversity Action Alliance provided a pretty sobering reminder that while progress has been made with DEI and the creative industries, there's still a lot more work to be done and no room for complacency. And so that's why I, along with my colleagues at Google and PR Week, decided to launch Changemakers, which aims to look behind the scenes at PR agency DEI programs and identify the true state of diversity within the partners that clients choose to help them support their brands and businesses. So today in this episode of the podcast, I'm fortunate to be speaking to my longtime friend and former colleague, Tarad Neptune, who's the Senior Vice President of Corporate Marketing, Brand Communications, and Chief Communications Officer at Medtronic. And together, we'll discuss why DE&I is so important for agencies and what we as clients can do to accelerate progress. Tarad, great to see you. It's been a minute. It's great to see you too, Corey. Appreciate the uh, invite to chat about this. Fantastic. So maybe we can just start our conversation at the beginning point with why Changemakers is happening now. And I'm delighted that you're here on the podcast, but what got you engaged personally in the process or in the the dialogue? What were you hoping that we might accomplish together? Great question. I'd say I think my interest in the dialogue probably started earlier in my career on the agency side, when I looked around and literally saw no one who who looked like me. And after spending some time really trying to evaluate whether this discipline was the right place for me to begin, you know, that, that began this interest in the subject of trying to ensure that there were more people like me in the space. I think as I've evolved in my career, and I know we'll talk about this more, that 
perspective has perhaps changed some in terms of the rationale for why, but it's also what's brought me to the interest in the topic today, you know, given the juxtaposition of, you know, when I began to have that realization and where I believe today we are at a different moment and I am in a different place to play a different role. So it's great timing, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually curious, Rod, to get your take on maybe the differences that you observe between your time at agency where we first met one another and, and worked together and um, both how the industry has evolved, but also what you see now in-house, just to give a sense of maybe what that arc might have looked like for you personally, and maybe what either commitments Medtronic has made or things that you've personally been engaged with with your C-suite in terms of helping to advance DE&I within the company. Yeah, I'd say a couple things in terms of the, the transition of the focus on the topic. I think if I were trying to synthesize earlier on, I think a lot of the interest in diversity representation within the agency side was probably driven more by either client demand or business demand, right? So there was an account that required, because of the nature of the work, uh, it was easier to see the value of a diverse, you know, represented team versus today. And this is, you know, nuances or, you know, generalization. I do think there is a much more significant realization that there's a business imperative attached to the need for us to think about uh, our organizations differently, both from a competitive vantage point, which is where I begin, but also from a desire to ensure that the organizations that we sit atop around look like the people we're trying to influence and engage. And so I think that evolution has been a big one. Um, and I think in some ways there are a couple of threads through that. But perhaps I'd say the most significant change is where and, you know, one of the bigger challenges that we deal with today originates from is if I think about the way we talked about it, you know, X years ago versus the way we talk about it today, my fear is it is still perhaps more about us believing that it's just a good thing to do than we see the real business rationale for it. And I think a lot of the efforts that are not perhaps reaching the mark, I would suggest perhaps align more to someone's view of it as a good thing to do, not as a view of a truly competitive advantage differentiator. That's such a great point. I mean, I, I think too, Tarot, about, you know, really since like June of 2020, kind of the first couple of months of the pandemic, and we're all sort of looking around and within our company, talking about the commitments that we needed to make. And I, I think you raise a really good point, which is this idea of a business imperative. And, you know, the conversation that was happening within our four walls was really about how do we improve diversity internally, but also to your point about the business imperative with the vendors that we work with mm -hmm. and the commitments that we could make as a C-suite team, for lack of a better way to put it, as a leadership team, as a, a management team for the company. Yeah. And maybe beyond the company's commitments, which are really important to sort of root it in a business imperative. There was also an element for me, Tarot, of how could I personally demonstrate for my teams and for my leadership peers that I was willing to be a visible and vocal facilitator within the company uh, for change. And really, you know, as I fast forward to 2022, and so much has changed over that period of time, we've kind of survived collectively uh, the first couple of years of the COVID pandemic. It's really thinking about with all that we have coming at us as communicators and business leaders, how do we maintain the focus on this important topic and 
drive the progress that we need to make so that, to your point, it really becomes more of a conversation rooted in metrics and business progress and things that we would be able to discuss with shareholders and with our board of directors and with our employees as opposed to something that, to your point, feels like it's a tick box or a nice to do uh, exercise. So it feels like in a way our, our companies as different as they are have gone through uh, and maybe you and I personally have gone through something of the same yeah. uh, evolutionary process. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, interestingly, you know, I'm, I'm a super competitive person and I do think part of the value or the benefit of the last several years is that data is a much more significant part of this discussion in a lot of places, not in every place. Right. And so, you know, we know in terms of the increase in competitiveness, performance, output, creativity, results, all those things that teams that look lo- more like the world are more successful. And again, back to the way I come at this discussion today, I want to win. And I want to win and I want to win in a, in, a, in a significant way. And if you're telling me that the degree to which I am able to compete and win and succeed is tangentially and directly tied to the makeup of the organization that I sit atop and the broader organization, then, then it would be malfeasance for me not to, you know, make some of these decisions to your point. And that's where uh, I think we've also got to unpack this a bit. And where I do think to your earlier question, by and large, I do think brands have done a better job of attaching themselves to commitment and the data that reflects progress and this discussion or this realization that we need our organizations to look like the customers we're trying to influence right? Both because that's expected of us, but also because it's just smart business. And then from a brand communications, you know, marketing vantage point, we've all seen the brands that have gotten it unbelievably wrong. And generally you can map those missteps to a team or a group, right? Who was a part of making that decision that probably did not reflect or appreciate the nuance that a diverse team would have brought to that discussion as well. So it's a little bit of this pragmatically thinking about how do we avoid doing something stupid by ensuring that our teams reflect this diversity of thought that's inherent in diversity of representation, but also this good for business and competing and competing to win. There's not a company today that does not need, does not want to win in the marketplace. And I think this discussion goes squarely at that as well. For sure. And, you know, I I think that you and I both either come from a background or have been surrounded enough by this idea of competing to win it's team sport, right? It's a, it's a collaborative effort. And um, when I think about what it would take to win in a company like Google, which is now approaching, geez, 170,000 employees across literally dozens of, of countries around the world, where the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion means different things in different countries. Sometimes it's very specific in terms of the measurements. Sometimes it's less specific to your point, I do think about how, at least within our four walls, maybe it worked this way for you too, hundreds of Googlers ended up working on our commitments. I referenced the commitments we made back in June 2020. Um, We had the benefit of the insight from hundreds of Googlers, including, uh, but not limited to, Melanie Parker, who's our chief diversity officer, members of our Black Leadership Advisory Group and uh, Black Googler Network amongst many other ERG leadership teams and communities across the company. And that led to the establishment at the company level of some pretty specific 
goals. And, and I think this is what you're talking about in terms of going beyond kind of a, hey, it feels good, feels right. We can tick the box. We can sort of hold hands over hearts and say that, you know, we're, we're doing the things that feel like they align with our values to things that we want to be held accountable to. For example, leadership representation of underrepresented groups in our company by 30% to increase the leadership representation by 30% by 2025 and doubling down on some specific markets within the countries where we operate. So for example, just in the United States, we made different real estate decisions and commitments to hire in places like Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Detroit, outside the United States and markets like London. And we're thinking a lot about, in tandem with our retention and progression team, how we could do a better job of being transparent about who we were bringing into the company, what the composite picture of of that community looked like, the extent to which we could retain those people. And, and I think this is what you're getting at when you talk about winning, how that translates to a picture of our company that looks materially different X number of years into the future and how it mirrors better our customers, our user base, and like you say, the world. Mm -hmm. And I think until you get to that level of specificity and you align around it and you start putting some dollars behind it. So for example, we set a goal to spend $100 million with Black-owned businesses back in that same time frame. We talked about historically Black colleges and, and an agreement that we wanted to make with those institutions where we could be quite specific about what our hiring goals would be and how we might work with them in a, in a more partnership sort of oriented way. Until we could put those things on the table and say with, with total clarity, here's what we're doing. Yeah. I think we were less likely to feel like there was a scenario in which we all could win. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I take from your conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that what I take away from that, and again, back to the brands versus agencies, where I do think there's something to learn from the brand perspective, is that it's it's an all-encompassing approach, right? So it's not just, you know, through the lens of diversity of people sitting in seats, but it's thinking about the entire operational structure of the company and pulling that through in a way that's measurable and meaningful and that in many instances impacts aspects of the business that don't traditionally get mentioned as a part of this priority. And so I think that's some of the great examples you just used are the epitome of, man, I never thought about the impact of this issue on that aspect of the business. And so I think that's where, again, there's a lot that, you know, a lot of agencies can learn from brands. You know, so maybe we can dive in on that a little bit, Rod. I'd love maybe to just take a beat and talk about the value that diverse agencies can bring to, I realize your role is broader than, than the role that I play within Google, but, you know, to the comms function or to the marketing function. And what is the role that we as clients can play in driving diversity on the agency side? You know, I think there's probably a place where we meet in the middle. And I'm wondering if, A, that's how you experience it, and B, what you think are unique patches contribute to that sort of team sport, that meeting in the middle. Yeah. You know, I do think back to the historical look at this issue over the last couple of decades and where we have seen more meaningful progress has been where it's a... It's a dual relationship. So brands and agencies together, but brands as the you know, owners of the, the wallets, the dollars, have a much more pointed, directed point of view. And that's one of the pieces that I think has been missing in terms of driving some accountability. 
brands playing a little more active role in establishing clear expectations, measures, KPIs. And and that's something that I think is an untapped opportunity and a very collaborative spirit, but also realizing that for some of this issue, it does take a little bit of a a stick to motivate change uh, around some of the more pernicious aspects of this challenge. And so I think that's a big role that you and I and our counterparts can play and and being the um, the voice that raises that level of expectation and awareness. We've been working for the last several months at Medtronic on you know a shared set of KPIs that are aligned with our organizational KPIs yeah. that we also want to share with our agencies as an accountability. So that again, it's not just us saying you must do this. It's us saying we've committed to it and we want you to share in this commitment with us, right? As our partners. And so that's an example of what I mean in terms of it being a a very symbiotic relationship, but where I do think brands have an opportunity to use a bit of a a heavier hand to help drive some of the more systematic organizational change that is necessary around this issue versus some of the tinkering that you mentioned that that we're still seeing take place. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we know we, we build DEI KPIs right into the agency contracts. In fact, interestingly in um, EMEA, our teams have developed a charter and asked their agencies to implement at least two DEI commitments that they'll be measured against this year. So to your point, there's a, there's an incentive in the sense that the way that our business construct is put together at the start and the way that we continue to evaluate it is somewhat dependent on, uh, like you say, sort of this, this stick or this shared sense of what our commitment is going to be. But it's interesting, though, too, Gerard, I I have found that in addition to that level of specificity that's required, I think people are coming from different places in terms of awareness. And I I say this with love, but like it also applies to us internally, right? And so when I think about even how Google has evolved inside, even without the benefit of this diverse perspective that comes from outside the company, I mean, we all sort of breathe our own exhaust inside our companies. And so I I think it's healthy to get that outside perspective, but I'll use an example. So following the murder of uh, George Floyd, our CEO, Sundar Pichai, sent an, an email to the company. I suspect most CEOs did in most companies that are US-based or otherwise, where there wanted to be a sense of the importance of that moment in a way to galvanize action inside the company, awareness inside the company, and to, to help sort of set the tone for the changes that we thought needed to come. What we didn't do is we hadn't run that note by members of our Black Plus community inside our own board, my own board, my comms team. And the next day, uh, I'll never forget this. I've kept this. I printed it. I received an email from that group with a red-lined version of the message that our CEO had sent. And, and you know, no, <laughs> no edit was spared. No language was, uh, no rock was left unturned in terms of thinking about the language that we used and what the impact of that language was and the way that we could have done a better job. And uh, I felt like we learned so much from that moment, but more importantly, we established a, a practice now where we can sustainably scale that kind of thought process going forward across many different communities so that we don't have another instance of communicating in a way that doesn't feel like it meets the moment. Yeah. And so when, when I talk with our agency partners, I say, look, this is this is the journey that we're on so that there is a shared sense that, you know, there is progress to be made. And we, we own some of that too inside the company. So I think it's important for 
I don't know, me personally as a leader to be transparent and vulnerable enough just to say, look, I'd like to think that we're in the year of our Lord 2020, 2022, we're sophisticated enough to know these things. We're not. Yeah. You know, it, it is an evolving landscape. And I'm really proud to see my team feel like they can collaborate, contribute and critique, frankly, all the way up to the CEO level, which is which is what it took. That's a pretty brave thing. Yeah. For you know somebody who's relatively new in their comms career to do, but I really value that. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I think we all probably have you know examples of that story, and I've got a couple as well. But I think the underlying point that you you raise is at the end of the day, the the end product or the end result would have been much better, right? Had we yeah. had the benefit of this perspective, but you know, I I know why it happens in my organization. I know generally why it probably is a challenge um, because this is where I think as a function and people who think like we do in these seats. It's all about speed, right? And the you know the faster you can get from point A to point B, uh, without as you know as little agita as possible. Uh, but sometimes that is exactly the challenge we have in ensuring that you know we spend the time to ensure that multiple voices, perspectives have the chance to make the end product better, right? And so it's it's balancing both both my desire to get it done yesterday yes. and most organizations' desire for it to be done yesterday. Um, and a little bit of this countenance for, but have we considered, right, whether this product represents all of the perspectives that it needs so that it is ultimately the best, right, that it could be as opposed to, you know, what's okay? No, completely. I mean, I, I think you're right. There is the, those are the twin tension points that we as communicators or leaders are always faced with. You know, it's the speed to be relevant the speed to be in the moment, the speed required or the velocity required so that you are communicating not just the substance of the issue, but also the level of importance that it has to the company by being on top of it and yet wanting to do that in the correct way. Yeah. I mean, I can think of countless times where uh, speed won or I can also think of countless examples of where us fussing over the right content one. Yeah. And it caused other tension points inside the organization in terms of people thinking that we were ignoring that issue or that we were strangely silent on an issue that really required leadership and a voice uh, and a point of view that you know we had sacrificed in the name of trying to get it right. So you probably never really get it right. But I'd like to think that when we're at our best, we can balance those twin demands, if you will, in a way that not just the company can understand Yes. Which is one way of thinking about it, but that the world outside of our company can understand too, yes. since so often that ricochets right out into public view and, and becomes the statement uh, on behalf of the company. Yep, unquestionably. So in your mind, Tarad, just given the lessons that you've, you've learned over the years, what do you think are the, are the key indicators of a successful DEI program that in-house teams can use when they're evaluating agencies? And maybe what behaviors uh, from an agency point of view can these external partners of ours exhibit or steps that they can take to demonstrate that they are committed to DEI and they can, you know, as we've been talking about, sort of share in that level of commitment that we both need to make? Yes, it's a great question. It's a tough question. I think um, if I if I think about the threads th that I look for in trying to determine whether an effort is you know, meaningful, impactful, credible, all encompassing, you know, the way we were talking about it a bit ago, I, I do think there are a couple things that uh, I've evolved to see as critical. So one is to begin with the 
most significant incentive we all have is the the tying of compensation to these metrics um, in a way that's you know measurable, meaningful. I think that's probably one of the more significant levers that we've seen in the last couple of years is beginning to be deployed. I know for most of us, you know, when we're talking about you know how we're how we're paid, that matters. Um, and we're just coming off a couple months ago, you know, my performance review, our fiscal year begins um, later in the year. Uh, but, you know, part of that conversation was, you know, DEI metrics and my individual performance as a leader, my team's performance as a function and the company's performance. So that's big. The other thing in terms of, you know, the way I think about it, again, we talked about this, the all encompassing nature of the way you know an organization thinks about DEI, again, not just from the staffing vantage point, but across the entire operations construct of the organization is a big piece as well. And then the, the last thing that I think is significant to me that impacts the question, both from a brand perspective and an agency, is senior executive leadership engagement. And that looks like the, the teams of these leaders. I think that's one of the things that I you know, encourage, challenge our agencies on quite often. So the leadership team of the agency needs to be diverse. Yes. Um, not just, you know, the, you know, the bowels of the organization that we often see reflected in the data that gets reported out. And so I think that's one significant barometer measure of, you know, CEO leadership accountability that um, I think sometimes we uh, underestimate as well. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this is a place where I feel quite self-critical, too, in terms of just looking at my own leadership team within the comms construct and making sure that our senior leadership team is representative. And so certainly you're right. I think seeing that mirrored at the agency level, it's really critical, makes a lot of sense. I think we also see, we're looking to increase the amount of business that we would do as a company with minority owned or underrepresented businesses. So that we're trying to be mindful of this ecosystem uh, that we have the ability to create by virtue of the market power that we have to be able to spend. And so I think that's a, a good practice for us inside of companies to think about, but it also clearly signals, I think, for the agency world, the need to make quite clear that, you know, hey, what is your composite ownership structure? Yes. How did you start? You know, what are the issues that you attach yourself to? How do you communicate that in a way that's quite clear to prospective business partners? And then I think that agencies should be able to demonstrate that, you know, they they've built their own programs, right? Things that in many respects, probably mirror the ones throughout that you and I are trying to build within our own companies. So employee resource groups and other community building initiatives, I think, you know, a regular sort of reporting or transparency demand uh, on progress towards goals so that we can actually, you know, hold up the mirror and see for ourselves, but also turn that mirror around and, and show it to the outside world. I mean, at Google, we report uh, or publish, I should say, a diversity annual report um, every year. And, you know, today, I think we want to continue to measure and publicly report our efforts on hiring, progression, retention, maybe some some nuance or, or some color behind that. Training programs for employees at all levels, and there are probably different flavors of those kinds of training programs so that people understand what we mean when we talk about, like, you know, how do you eradicate bias in the interview and recruiting process? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of that starts with pretty fundamental basics from a, a training perspective and being able to demonstrate you know, how many people are going through that. Is this a systemic effort? Is it a sustained effort as you grow? And then like we've already talked about, I think DEI specific KPIs that we can both be held accountable to. So when I, when I see that coming from our agency partners with the same degree of rigor that we're trying to implement 
internally, that to me feels like we're already in a good shared headspace. We already have enough commonality with the way that we see this that uh, yes. that you know we we have some basis to be able to go forward. Tarot, you talked about your own career, and I'm sure that over the years you've heard various flavors of the pipeline discussion, probably to the point of just getting like tired of hearing about it because it probably feels like something of a uh, an excuse, but I'm wondering how we can, as an industry, collectively attract and retain more diverse talent in communications. And do you have any lessons that either you've learned from our agency days, or maybe at Medtronic, or other in-house roles that you've played over the years that that may give our audience for this podcast some tips or just indicators of where we can do better collectively as an industry? Because God knows we need to. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the pipeline and the and the retention of that pipeline, right, is is a big issue. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'd say, and this gets a little bit to your last point, where I have seen it work well, uh, and again, I think we're, there's progress being made, right? So I, I would never want there to be this view that I don't think there's progress that we are achieving as a function. I think that's happening. But what, where I've seen it work well is where an agency and a brand, you know, will collaborate. Right. And that's in one of, in terms of one of the things I'm the most impressed by have been those agency CEOs who've reached out and said, hey, this let's let's hold hands and figure out how we can do something together. Meaningful, both to look at the pipeline, your training, growth, development, career pathing and the retention issue. And so I think that's an underutilized opportunity to think about you know pipeline. And that's where I think also there are opportunities for agencies to think about pipeline in a much broader way than you know the traditional we need to find an HBCU right and, and attend a career fair right. in some ways I think one of the aspects of this that are, are super underappreciated is the degree to which uh, as leaders we've got to think like our own recruiters when it comes to building a pipeline and I challenge my team on this often so I've had for the last several years a list of 15 diverse professionals who I would love to recruit when the opening happens on my team. Yep. And I, I touch base, I manage that list. If it's if I'm in that market, it's the invitation to coffee, to lunch, to dinner, it's the check-in, say how you're doing. And I tell you, any one of those 15, when the opening happens on my team, they're, they're tier one priority. And so that, that level of rigor, discipline to just making it a part of the way we think about you know, our day-to-day work, just like I have a to-do list of the you know 10 things I need to do for my day-to-day job at Medtronic, thinking about pipeline building in that way is just as critical to invest the time and energy, both from the CEO level on down. And so I think that's an underappreciated aspect that maybe it's social or I don't know what it is that I think as leaders and as broader, you know, practitioners in the space is not appreciated for as lever. I mean, the traditional things of recruiting, that's key. And I think a lot of that's happening but I think in terms of the more significant opportunities, those joint collaborations are a big opportunity that I don't think we fully captured, taken advantage of. And then I think about this way to get much more pedantic about how we build a talent pipeline before we need it ahead of the opportunity. Yes. And I think yeah. that's something I don't see being practiced at all. And I think that's a big, big miss. Well, I think you're you're almost channeling my partner in crime at Google, our chief marketing officer, Lorraine Tuhill, with your target list. She has built, maintained, whittled away at, worked this list of talent. 
in the industry for many years. I feel like you're you're very you have a very shared sensibility along those lines. And you know, you mentioned earlier, Gerard, and I just want to touch on this for a sec. The extent to which once you're successful in recruiting a more diverse talent base, that there is a equal, if not even perhaps greater responsibility that we have as as team leaders to develop and retain uh you know that that composite picture that we've built. And um what's interesting, so I, I think about this a lot because since I joined Google four and a half years ago, we've invested in a I'll just give you a flavor of of what we're thinking about. I'd love your input on this, but we've invested in a dedicated DEI program manager for our team. We now have six employee resource groups. So a Black Plus team, a Latinx team, an Asia Plus team, an ability team, a vets team, and what we call our, our pride at team that informs our work and empowers our push, frankly, to do more. So 185 folks in my team belong to an ERG, which is more than 20% of the total number of our team. And I meet regularly with these teams because A, I learn a lot. B, selfishly, I like meeting these people when they come in. But C, I think it informs our approach to the way that we're doing it. And so that then sort of translates to our DEI plan for the whole team. And this is where making each manager accountable kind of factors in. So it's one thing to create communities and a shared sense of belonging and purpose and experience within each of our teams. But, you know, having our people managers be accountable for best hiring practices and for mentorship and sponsorship programs throughout our team or dedicated talent reviews for our ERGs so that we're making certain that, you know, we are looking at trends and that, as you said very early in this discussion, that, you know, we're using the data that we have available to us. If I miss the step of having our manager team step up and be accountable for that, then I only have myself to blame, right? Like I, I can't personally lead a 600 plus person team to the place where we think we need to be, I need a more collaborative approach. That's the only way, as you said, that we're going to win. And so um, anyway, when I think about yeah. how we're trying to um, to do this internally, those are the practices we put on the table. And therefore, they also inform the kinds of questions that I want to ask our agency partners in terms of the way that they're trying to tackle those things as well. Because I think we probably yeah. there's probably room for shared learning or, or experience and how those things are applied. Yeah. And it's hard work, right? Back to the thought and the planning and the discipline and the rigor that needs to go into yes. it. Uh, to your point, you know, the pipeline is half the battle. And if we look at the data that, you know, the industry has published in the last couple of years, some of it coming out of IPR and others, retention is, is a more significant issue where we've had pipeline success. And so looking at the more robust aspects of how, how you really retain uh, diverse talent beyond some of the vanity metrics, right? That it's easier for us to attach ourselves to is where the what real critical work needs to happen. And I think if if I was synthesizing some of the commentary that I'm a part of, both from diverse leaders within the agencies who work with us today and within my own organization, that rigor and discipline is is super critical to managing the back door of the pipeline, you know, conversation. And again, if we're honest, where we probably are more pressured today than the pipeline itself is ensuring that we retain the top talent that a lot of us have spent a lot of you know time and energy investing in to ensure that we get into our organizations, uh, but we've not yet invested that same uh, amount of energy on the, the back end of this, which I think is an opportunity as well for both of us, brands and agencies. 
totally agree. Well, look, Gerard, this has been such a great conversation. And I would be remiss if I, I didn't say, first of all, how big an impression that you personally have made on me, both at our time at Agency Together and sort of, I think, helping inform some of my thinking. Uh, I won't out us as old by saying how long ago that was, but it was some time ago. But I mean, it really has informed a lot of my thinking from even in those days to where we've kind of evolved to. But I wonder if you could touch on before we close, why now? You know, why, when I think about change makers and why this program exists, why we're having these conversations today, um, what is so critical for our industry and the broader creative industry for that matter to really sort of not just embrace DE&I, but really, like you say, sort of take on the rigor and the disciplined approach it takes to make the progress that we need to. For our listeners, like why now? Why, why is this program so important? And why are you and I so in up to our necks on this subject? And um, what, what, what can people take away from that that maybe they could apply within their own four walls? Yeah. It's a great question about the timing. I think, um, you know, I think one of the things I think about a lot and I think about the conversations I'm having with both our CEO and at the board level and just across you know, our organization entirely. I mean, if you think about the societal complexity that we're living within today, and at the same time, if you combine that with this evolving role that our function is playing, that I think the pandemic has had a dramatic effect on elevating, we are much more central, critical to the ongoing transformations that, again, I'd say all organizations are grappling with today. And when you combine that with this societal reality, it creates an unbelievable opportunity for us as a function, comma, but uh, navigating this complex environment that we're in makes the imperative of perspectives, voices, faces, that help us navigate this again all the things we've been talking about make that even more critical right so it's this it's a little bit of this catch-22 we're at this place in time in history where we are at the pinnacle perhaps of influence impact stature for the work we do the criticality of this discipline yes. but we're also challenged to ensure that we represent this society that's in the midst of all this unbelievable disruption and the way we think about helping our organizations navigate you know achieve kind of win in these and so it's an irony that i think is is much more the rationale for why this issue today uh because it's impossible in this global society today that's fracturing for us to play the role that we need to play as the aggregators, the synthesizers, the dot connectors um, who are driving meaningful business value without you know, sitting atop a, an organization that is diverse and gender, ethnicity, perspective, all these things that we've been talking about. And so I, I fear that we are going to look at this opportunity and not be able to fully capture it if we don't ensure that, again, the people who are with us look like the society that we're trying to you know, navigate to influence. And I think that's probably the most significant reason for this uh, significant conversation today, aside from the fact that, again, ultimately, we got we got to win. And, and I want to do that. And this is this is the reason I think we need to even redouble our efforts in this space. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, we've spent as a comms community so long talking about the proverbial seat at the table. Well, we have it. You're in it. <laughs> it's now down to what are you going to do with it? And you raise such a great point. I think that within most organizations, what I see 
is that people across all companies are pretty good in their lanes mm-hmm. where it's difficult and where the challenge of the role factors in is in the horizontal approaches that we have to take to join those lanes up so that as you say we all win right it's not enough it's not enough for you to win or me to win it's really the the collective we yes. need to win the the organizations that we're a part of and frankly this industry that that we're a part of and you're right we do have sort of a unique special sauce or a secret feature <laughs> superpower whatever you want to call it which yeah. is this idea of joining dots and seeing patterns across as opposed to sort of like within our you know individual swim lanes. And I think that our bosses have made it quite clear that that is not only what they value in us, it's what they expect. You know, the, yeah. the idea that like, hey, you're helping me see around corners, you're helping me do pattern recognition. That That is not only your superpower, that's actually what I'm holding you accountable for. Yeah. And so to your point, I think that, you know, we, so we've spent, careers, in some cases, developing these skill sets, these skill bases, to be able to enact that. And yet, we now have the seat at the table to use that influence base for the betterment of not just our companies, but for the whole industry. And you're right, there's a window, you know, yeah. and, I, and I fear this was my own view of why I thought Google should put some weight behind this and, and get engaged, is that my own fear was that we might miss this window. And yeah. that you know, we would... Again, to go back to a point that I, I talked about at the beginning, you know, I, I don't want the sheer force and velocity of everything we have coming at us in the world to distract us from the focus that it requires to make progress in this space. And, yes. you know, for, for me, that was the unique square that we had sort of landed in with Changemakers was to take maximum advantage of this window that we have, because I just don't know how long we have it. And, you know, this is where I do want to lock arms with people like you and other folks in the industry, the Kim Hunters of the world, the uh, Damon Jones of the world, people I've had all these conversations with for years to take maximum advantage of this window of of opportunity that we have and and make something of it. And so I I really appreciate, Tarot, everything that you've done. It's very generous of you to spend your time with us on this podcast today. And uh, I look forward to uh, more discussions because we need to keep that level of volume and that level of focus up if we're going to get where we need to go. I agree. I appreciate the uh, invitation to the conversation. We hope you enjoyed the conversation between Corey Dubrower and Torod Neptune. To hear the rest of the conversations in this series, sign up wherever you get your podcasts or go to PRWeek.com. And we look forward to continuing the conversation at PR Decoded, our annual conference in Chicago, October the 11th and 12th, where we'll talk about these initiatives in depth and talk about how we make this a sustainable movement moving forward. 